the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Have you ever heard the old hymn, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus? I'm going to read a stanza from that hymn. I think it'll be an encouragement to you, but I welcome you to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland here. So glad you're listening. Uh, Bert Harper, and you are listening to the American Family Radio Network, and we are in the book of Acts. Hey, Bert, you know, yesterday as we were talking about people lying in wait to ambush Paul and take his life, but God delivered him. Uh, can I read a stanza from an old hymn? And I think it illustrates how God is in control and ultimately the truth and goodness and righteousness does prevail. Can I share this? I think it would be an encouragement, Alex. Go right ahead. From, from an old song called The Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, it says, Though the cause of evil prosper, yet the truth alone is strong. Though her portion be the scaffold and upon the throne is wrong yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown stands god within the shadow keeping watch above his own and the good news is and we see it in the book of acts we've seen it throughout history and we will see it with our own eyes in our time god prevails god is in control and for the moment falsehood and darkness might seem to have the upper hand don't believe it and don't despair God is in control, and the risen Christ, he was victorious over death, and ultimately the truth will prevail. Amen. And uh, three days later, after Christ was on the cross, he rose again. And uh, what it is, you may not know the rest of the story yet. You may be waiting on something. And uh, Paul's desire when he came to Jerusalem was to leave Jerusalem and go to Rome. That's been delayed quite a bit. And later on, you're going to find out that he, he just languished two years waiting to hear something. But guess what happened during that two years? God was working. Those people who, who had taken a vow to kill him and they weren't going to do certain things. And they didn't get to do it. They didn't get to do it. And I just wondered how that worked out for them, you know, Alex. But, uh, yes. yes, that is great news that God is at work. And sometimes it's behind the scenes and we don't understand it. We don't see it, but he is there. And in chapter 24, we get to this place. You know, we had a, a great speaker. It says he was an orator. Tertullius, he spoke. <laughs> and then it was Paul's turn. And uh, I, I just want to tell you, uh, Paul was second to no one when it came to presenting truth, Alex. Oh, uh, I know. The, the other guy had flowery things to say uh, concerning the man who was hearing them, Ananias, but Paul spoke truth no matter what. I, I, think, I, I think we can learn something in the day that we live. Here was well, Ananias yes. that had a lot of issues, really did. But Paul, when he found out who he was, showed respect uh, and uh, sometimes in the arguments if we're not careful politically in the arguments over issues in the church uh, we better uh, be very careful what we say we need to stand on truth we need to speak the truth but 
Alex, is there a place where we're not to, especially when we're talking about a brother in Christ, where we're not to speak the truth in love? Uh, Paul told the Corinthian church, you remember that guy that was, he was committing a horrible sin, and God told him, to Paul to tell them to get it right. And yes, they did. But again, it was in love. It was for that man's benefit. So it's always for the benefit of the believer when we're dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it? That's true. Even when we are on opposite sides of some important issues, you know, uh, there's a, there are a lot of issues today. But when it's a brother in Christ, uh, somebody who really is a follower of Jesus, um, and listen, I mean, I care deeply about political issues, and I think that the moral issues of our day are very, very significant, and we should courageously take a biblical stand on them. But at the same time, we need to treat fellow believers with love and charity, even when we disagree. But 25, begin. you ready to segue into 25? I'm ready when you are. There's a man named Festus, and I always have to smile because I'm a big fan of gun smoke. But it's not Ken Curtis. It's Portius Festus. You see at the end of 24, Portius Festus, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, comes into Felix's room. And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So 24 concludes, and Paul is still, you know, chained up, tied up as Agabus predicted he would be, and seeing him up there, even if they can't kill him, they enjoy seeing this evangelist bound. And ultimately, Festus will send Paul to Rome to stand under Emperor Nero. Uh, When Festus was coming to the province after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. The high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him. So there's a meeting going on between the people that or against Paul, and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, lying in wait in the way to kill him. So they think, well, if we can't physically kill Paul, maybe this man will help us get him executed, perhaps. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly uh, thereafter. And he said, Uh, Which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness. So if you've got eyewitnesses and if you've really got something tangible, let's go down there. Uh, Bert, I've got to believe that they probably didn't like that answer, you know, in verse 5. I agree with you. We know Felix was waiting for a payoff. We know that. Kept Paul in prison those two years. Now, again, he had some liberty uh, just remember that, that that he wasn't just, you know, verse chapter 24, verse 23. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends and provide for or visit him. So in this two-year waiting period, it wasn't stocks and bonds. It was in a waiting period, but it was a put in a hold on everything he had. Felix steps down. Festus comes up. It seems... I, I want to give a, a heads up for Festus, a thumbs up. He seems to be uh, fair. A, fair and genuine in trying to carry out what is needed. Uh, Alex, it's not like Felix, Felix waiting to be paid off. 
And, and Festus comes across as one of the Roman leaders as fair, as you just said. That's what you want in a, in a governmental leader. You really do. You want them to be fair, to be able to, to weigh the evidence and hear the evidence on both sides before a decision is made. I, I mm-hmm. give him a thumbs up on Festus. Exactly, exactly. So for 10 days, he's around there, and he says, let's go down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded that Paul be brought. And when he was come, the Jews who came down from Jerusalem stood around about and laid many grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Do you see those last five words of verse 7? That is something. Guess what? Nothing new. They had two years to investigate. I'm, I'm being a little facetious here. They had two years to investigate, to try to find some stuff. They had nothing new because there wasn't anything there to begin with, Alex. It's not, you know, nowadays, and this is um, a little bit off topic maybe, but, you know, in the media, if somebody questions global warming or anything about the conventional wisdom regarding COVID, they'll say, well, so I guess you're anti-science. No, it just might be that there's another side to every story. You know, uh, you don't believe in socialism and high taxation. I guess you're wanting people to starve. No, it's just that we know that uh, socialism is not what this country needs. But false witnesses, whether it be something theological or cultural or political, um, people for centuries have tried to get their, their way through false accusations, and Paul stands there falsely accused. Uh, while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. So Paul says, look, I've not transgressed the law of the Jews, I've not uh, done anything to defile the temple, and I'm not uh, a, you know, a, a rebel against Rome. But Festus, now again, here's a, a, a rough the end of 24 says this, and now we see it again in verse 9. Willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Will thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? In other words, um, what you're saying in defense of yourself, would you be willing to say those very same things in Jerusalem? And Paul said, uh, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged because he's a Roman citizen. To the Jews I've done no wrong. As you well know, for if I be an offender, if I've committed anything worthy of death, I'm willing to die. I mean, Paul is making a bold defense for himself in verse 11 of chapter 25. But if there be none of these things uh, whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I may appeal to Caesar. In other words, if you're not willing to give me a fair trial, I will exercise all of the things that my Roman citizenship avails me to rightly defend myself. Is that what he's saying? That's exactly what he's saying. He is using this Roman citizenship again. What we've tried to convey in this period of Paul's life, how he uses his knowledge of the law, how he uses his Roman citizenship to defend himself to share the gospel. And again, that's why America is so important, voting, letting your voice be heard calmly, yes, rightly, yes, but doing it in a manner that we do. That's the reason it's called, I call it, a stewardship of his citizenship. I believe 
we see Paul here doing exactly that. He hasn't abused his citizenship, but he has used it wisely to help himself get fairness and ultimately that the gospel could be shared in Rome. So, Alex, here it is again. I appeal to Caesar. Um, you know, he did that when he, he didn't say those words. He said, are you going to scourge a Roman citizen without having evidence or trial for reason? Man, that stopped them in their tracks. Guess what happens here with Festus? Okay. He said, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you will go. And wow. uh, so yes. he made that quickly. Again, I didn't say Festus was ex great because he was wanting to do a, do him a favor because, you know, uh, he's got to govern these people. <laughs> and everybody's yeah. gone before him. They've had trouble trying to govern these people. And uh, so he was wanting to do them a favor, but it was still fair. But Paul knew what was awaiting him, and Paul used what was available in order to get fairness, Alex. Well, you know, and it just reminds me, being bounced around from political leaders to uh, religious leaders, I mean, in so many ways, these are like the unfair trials and false accusations that the Lord was subjected to. You know, the, the night he was betrayed en route to Calvary, I mean, Jesus was bounced around. And you know what? Um, the Bible says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And, and Paul knew that more keenly than any of us will ever know. But uh, King Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus, they get together, and Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying there's a certain man. Well, I, I hear that break, and we've got a break coming up. But we're going to continue on and see what the fate of Paul ultimately is, won't we? We will, and we'll be back with more as we continue in the book of Acts on Exploring the Word. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Lopa Kaluri, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Office of Housing. Her office is responsible for policies, programs, and operations supporting home buyers and homeowners in the United States. Luke 10.5 reminds us of the importance of peace in the home. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Lopa Kaluri in her role at HUD. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Enrich your prayer life and pray for America and our leaders with our daily National Leadership Prayer Journal. Get yours now at pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says even though we share a common destiny, God doesn't turn out cookie-cutter Christians. What balances those two extremes? We'll find out today as we spend two minutes with Tony. In football, you've heard me say there is a rule book. The rule book gives the rules, and the rule book is the same for every team. Every team has the same rule book, except the Patriots when it comes to the balls and air in the balls, okay? But that's another story. Every team has the same rule book, but not every team has the same playbook. 
And they will adjust plays, change plays, change plays in the middle of the game based on how the game is going. Playbooks are adjustable, rule books are not. The Bible is God's rule book. It's the same for everybody in this room. It's non-adjustable, and it doesn't adjust based on your background, history, personality. No, it's the rule book. But God has different playbooks for everybody in the room. And what he has for you is different than what he has for me, but what he has for both of us will never be outside the rule book. So God gives us the rule book of the Bible, but he gives us the playbook of the Holy Spirit. And the job of the Holy Spirit is to lead you within the rule book with God's special guidance for you because he has a different play he's calling for you. That's why you can't try to be me because then you're running on my playbook, which means you're scoring touchdowns for me. And you need touchdowns for you. Therefore, there has to be a relationship with God and intimacy with the living word based on the written word so he can call plays and so you can hear them in the speaker of your soul. You can read hundreds of Dr. Evans' best stories in Tony Evans' book of illustrations. Check into getting a copy today at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. American Family Radio. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. This is Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you. We're in Acts chapter 25, if you have a copy of the Word of God. And we're talking about a conversation that two leaders have, uh, King Agrippa. And yes, he is Agrippa II. He is in part of the Herod uh, clan, five of them that we know of. And starting back with the birth of Jesus and now all the way up to here, they're still in power. And uh, he's in town and he had heard about Paul, no doubt, and he and when Festus started talking to him about what he had heard, he said, I'd like to hear about that. Uh, at verse 22, and you may want to go back <laughs> further than that, but I love what he says. And Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. And wow. so we're, I could not help but remember what uh, God had told uh, uh, Ananias, not this priest, but the one that Paul went to concerning his uh, vision. He said, I've chosen him to testify before many people, and many of those were leaders, governors and leaders. And right here in this arrest and these times of hearings, Alex, Paul is making that statement come true again and again as he stands before them, and he takes every opportunity, you know, to make yeah. a beeline for, for sharing Christ. It reminds me of Billy Graham. He could be on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. He'd be yeah. interviewed by, by Larry King or anyone else, and the gospel was going to be shared no matter how it sounded, no matter what. What a consistency. I find that same consistency in Paul as well. Amen. Amen. You know, somebody said to Billy Graham one time, and I love this, this was back when he first started out and suddenly almost overnight, you know, he was drawing 60,000 people to stadiums and, you know, out in uh, California is a place where they 
many, many decades ago had the Olympic Games and uh, this L.A. stadium and Billy Graham filled it up, 100,000 people. And some of the liberals of that time said, uh, you've set the church back 50 years. Billy Graham said, well, I was hoping to set it back 2,000 years. Amen. And, and I, I've loved that quote. But, you know, let, let me just ask about this. You know, uh, they wanted to hear Paul. And it says this in verse 24 of chapter 25. Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men which are here present with us, you see this man about whom all the multitude of Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he, not, he ought not to live any longer. But I found he has committed nothing worthy of death, and he himself has appealed to Augustus. I've determined to send him. Okay, you know, it wasn't too many years prior that there was another man on the stand, Jesus, and they were crying out that he ought not live any longer. Um, so this isn't the first time the, quote, multitude of Jews, uh, religious leaders, and their operatives were crying out for the life of somebody that they disagreed with. And I want to say this, and I want your thoughts, Bert. You've got to remember the, the Roman leaders um, in Rome and in the respective provinces, one of their key jobs was to keep the peace. And it wasn't so much that they cared about theological issues or truth. They just wanted to keep the peace. And you get the implication that a lot of the Jewish people, especially the, those that were so particular about the minutia of the law, the Romans thought they were just peculiar nitpickers almost. And you remember Acts 17, 6, speaking of Christians, the city leaders said these men have turned the world upside down, you know, with the gospel. So I'm wondering if, um, you know, that they, they placated the Jews and they, ex they consented to the execution of Jesus. And that really didn't solve anything. In fact, outbreaks this thing called Christianity. And I want... You've got to believe those Romans are weighing every chess move possible, what to do, and uh, do we consent and kill him? That didn't solve anything when we killed Jesus. Do we ignore them? Well, they can say we've betrayed Caesar. I mean, politics puts people in between a rock and a hard place, doesn't it? It does, and here, uh, and I think that shows it in verse 26, Listen to this, and this is uh, Festus. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. In other you words, know what he's saying? yeah, he's, he's saying, saying I, I got. I, I don't know what to do about this. I don't. I don't know what to say about him. I'm sending him to Caesar, but I don't know what papers to fill out. We don't have the right forms. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. you know, and we're going to have to do that. And so King Agrippa seems to just have heard about Paul, and he wants his curiosity settled. But Festus wants King Agrippa to hear him, to help him know what to write. And, and Alex, again, Festus is here saying, there's nothing to what the Jews are saying, but I know how it is. They're contrary. They're stubborn. Uh, you know, I want to keep the peace, as you said. And uh, so he says in 27, for it seems to me 
unreasonable to send a prisoner and not specify the charges against him. Well, amen. (laughs) Thank you. It it seems to me that way too, doesn't it? It really does. He said, I, you know, I don't know what to charge him with. It's just a bunch of these leaders complaining about it and there's nothing there. It's, it's, you know, I think about another one and it is Daniel. Well, when they wanted to find something wrong with Daniel, uh, they looked at his business career. They looked at his private life, his public life. They could not find anything to discredit him with. So they persuaded the king to pass a law concerning praying only to an image of the king. The king mm-hmm. was so egotistical. He said, that sounds good. But guess what? Daniel didn't change what he did. He still prayed to God three times a day, and they brought him up on those charges. Seems like they're trying to find something with Paul. They can't find it, can they? They just can't. I mean, it it, it boils down to, you know, we just don't like him. <laughs> but Paul uses this as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And, and you know what? In all... I'm going to say that there will be times in life if you're a godly person and you even if you're doing the right thing and you're honest and you're 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 doing what a person ought to do sometimes somebody's not going to like you sometimes you might even be falsely accused sometimes you're going to be talked about and slandered and uh, you know Paul defended himself he he used lawful means isn't it something that even though Paul who was God's man, and goodness, if ever there were, were an exemplary Christian, and I don't mean to overstate things, but I, I really do think Paul's the greatest Christian who ever lived. Um, but he didn't lower himself and do anything ungodly. He didn't break the law. He didn't turn against Jesus. He didn't feel sorry for himself. Uh, and he used it as an opportunity to minister. But this is uh, one of the great encounters really in the entire book of acts um so agrippa says to paul you're permitted to speak for yourself you have the floor paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself now and i'm thinking that you know he's gesturing with his hands and yet he's bound um he says i think myself happy king agrippa because i shall answer for myself this day before you touching all the things whereof i'm accused in other words i'm happy to do this because I know you're an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews, wherefore I beseech you to hear me patiently. Uh, verse 3 is a great verse, isn't it? It is. Um, he, he's complimentary, but he says, look, uh, this is um, a sticky wicket here, so hear me out, yep. which is a reasonable thing for anybody to ask, isn't it? It is, and notice what Paul does in verse 1. It doesn't say he said anything. But he waited to speak when he was asked. He knew the procedure. This made me think of Moses going in before Pharaoh. Being raised in Pharaoh's court, he knew the procedures to come into the court to face Pharaoh and speak and how to go out. God used that in Moses' life. So he used those 40 years in Moses' life of being in Pharaoh's court And and God would use that even in the next time that he, God would use him. Here, Paul, being a Roman citizen, some way he knew when to speak, not to speak. He knew the Roman 
uh, procedure. He knew to appeal to Caesar. Yes, he knew the protocols. And listen, that tells us about ourselves. That's why Christians, godly Christians, need to be involved in other things, yes, than the church. Now, your ultimate goal is the gospel. But yes, you can serve on the school board. Yes, you can run for office. You can do those things to know the protocol, to know the procedures, and let God use you. God does that here, and Paul, again, using his training that he had under Gamaliel, that he had as a Roman citizen, that he had knowing the law, he used those for the benefit of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Alex. Uh, This was not his first rodeo, to speak in front of a group and to have to very carefully, very effectively lay out a point and defend that point. Um, This wasn't the first time he'd done this, was it? It was not. And listen, when you look at what he said, there's a consistency about it. He doesn't change. Now, it, it has some nuances in it, but it doesn't change. His testimony is still straightforward and a beeline to Jesus. And very famously, what, what chapter 26 is going to come out, you know, um, perhaps the most famous verse in this chapter, King Agrippa says, you know, in verse 28, Paul, you, you have almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And a lot, even songs, almost persuaded, sermons. And friend, there's a lot I want to say, and maybe even we'll unpack some of it tomorrow too. But do not leave this world almost a Christian, because let me say this, Almost saved is completely lost, isn't it, Bert? Listen, you know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, how short is that? You know, some people miss it a mile. Some may miss it just a little. I want to use this example. I've used it before. Judas's chariot kissed the door to heaven and yet went to hell. Mm. That's how close you can be to to getting saved and miss it. Now, God, yeah. if you're open and you're ready, it's not. People say, "Oh, I didn't use those exact words when I I prayed. I didn't say those words." God looks upon the heart. I know it says, "Confess with thy mouth." That means you're not ashamed of Him. It means that you share your yes. Christ has come into my life, but coming into your life. You open your life up. You open your heart up and say, uh, in your life, you say, oh, God, I need you. I know you're God. I know you died on the cross. I know you rose again. God, I give you my life. I surrender you. Mm. Now, you can say the exact words, but if you don't mean it in your heart, in what I mean in your life, down deep who you are, Alex, words do not save us. It is that Mm. belief and that trust that we place upon him. And so, Agrippa, I want to wait for a more convenient time. I don't know everything that's in that meeting, but I want to tell you the Bible says today is the day of salvation. People don't need to wait, do they, Alex? No, call on Christ while you have an opportunity. Uh, Let me just say, it, it is not hard to die. People leave this world every day, prepared or unprepared, and Listen, you you may miss anything else, but don't miss salvation. Well, let, let's go back just a little bit, and we'll cue this up. We'll have to really, really unpack it more even tomorrow. And by the way, folks, we're going to take calls in just a moment. We would love for you to call in. I, w- I want to ask you to call in with your Bible question today. In just a moment, we'll get to it. And uh, the number is 
589-8840. And uh, we'll get to questions in a minute. But he says, my manner of life from my youth, verse 4, which was at the first among my known nation, Jerusalem, known all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, in other words, if they would admit it, they would know from the beginning that I was a faithful Jew. The, the straightest sect of our religion, he's saying, if they would testify, which they won't, but they said, if, if they'd be honest with you, you would know that I was an observant Jew. And now I stand and I'm judged for the hope of the promise made unto God the fathers. Verse 6 is very key because an observant Jew was looking for the coming of the Messiah, the promise of God to the fathers. And Paul, what Paul's going to say is, look, I found it. It's not, I haven't betrayed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Haven't betrayed Judaism. I was the, the straightest sect there was, and I found the Messiah. And uh, that was the promise to the 12 tribes. So Paul is setting this up not only truthfully, but I believe compellingly. He's giving his testimony, isn't he? He is, and King Agrippa knows he, he's Jewish. He knows Jewish tradition, and I, I'm not saying he's a, you know, a, a, a expert in it all, but he knows enough, and Paul goes back, and it again, as Paul does, if it's an audience or one or a whole huge audience, he draws them in. If they're Jews, if they're Gentiles, wherever they are, he draws them in. And here, just like you said, Alex, he makes this promise. Verse 6 and 7 are so powerful, and we'll close on these for the day. But it says, To this promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God, night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Here it is, this promise that he made by God in our fathers. He says, it's come to my life. The 12 and, tribes. He draws him in. And King Agrippa is almost persuaded. But Alex, not today, he said. And why do you think it's an incredible thing that God would raise the dead? Verse 8. Hey, if he can create the universe, he can conquer the grave. This is Exploring the Word. Oh, this is exciting, folks. Stay tuned. We're going to come back with more of this gospel truth and your phone calls and questions. Don't go away. Dear One Million Moms, I've always thought that maybe your organization was making a mountain out of a molehill. But today, I cannot believe what I just saw on my TV. Concerned about the trash flowing into your home through today's media that simply will not censor itself? Make your voice heard. If you see trash in the media, tell us. Use the Submit Trash button at OneMillionMoms.com. That's OneMillionMoms.com. And thanks. There are some oh, horrendous things that have been taking place. Bishop E.W. Jackson. But, but, the good news is that God is still on the throne. Jesus is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. He said in the world you would have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And uh, that's the way we've got to approach all this stuff. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. U.S. support for legal same-sex marriage continues to trend upward, now at 70%, a new high in Gallup's trend tracking since 1996. 
Republicans, who've constantly been the party least in favor of same-sex marriage, show majority support in 2021 for the first time with 55%. The latest increase in support among all Americans is driven largely by changes in Republican views, according to Gallup. GOP Chairwoman Rona McDaniel's June 2nd tweet celebrating so-called Pride Month seems to reflect this change. Biblical fidelity must not be subjugated to political popularity. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Luke 4, 43, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. In the early 1960s, there was a push for parents to bring their kids to parking lot parties. The treat for each child was a sugar cube. Every sugar cube contained a dose of the polio vaccine. The party was fun, but its purpose was to deliver the vaccine to save kids' lives. In the same way, Jesus' blessings to us are a delivery system for the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that saves. We should always work to meet other people's needs, but remember, the purpose for serving, helping, and loving others is ultimately so that we can share the gospel. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. glory to God, all glory to our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. Alex and Bert here. The number is 888-589-8840 with your Bible questions on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Bert, how about we go up to Ohio, great state of Ohio, and we're going to talk to David. David, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good Good afternoon, brother. Uh, just first, I want to say I've been listening to you guys for four years since I was saved, and I really appreciate your work in the gospel. Amen. Mm. Hey, well, David, you, four friend. years ago, uh, how That's I, right. Yeah, I don't mean to. You've told us how old you are spiritually. How old were you when you got saved, brother? I was 24 years old. Amen. Well, man. Yeah. Wonderful. It's awesome, isn't well, God it? God bless you guys. Amen. And well, thank you, thank David. Thank you for being a listener. Thank you. Oh, yeah. No, I appreciate you guys. Um, so I, I've had this conversation now with a couple friends, and there's not a lot of proof text, you could say, on this issue, um, and that's on infant salvation. And I was just wondering if you guys could give your commentary on that. Okay. Uh, infant salvation. I, Alex, when I hear that, no infant can give their heart to the Lord, their mental uh, capacity is not developed, but they are, is there a difference in being saved and being safe at a certain age like that, you know? You know, that that's a great way to phrase it, being safe in the gospel. You know, the Bible doesn't specifically, specifically 
say on this, but th there are some scriptures that indicate what we might call the age of accountability, like Isaiah 7, verse 16, that is, is a reference to, um, well, it's really a reference to Jesus coming. It says, before the boy knows to refuse the evil and to choose the good, um, and so forth, land of uh, the kings being deserted. But here's, here's the phrase. The Bible assumes that there is a time, there's a moment when a child knows to choose the good and reject the evil. We call that accountability. And, you know, in the New Testament, Romans 1 talks about people that refuse to acknowledge what God has clearly revealed. My belief is, and I've read many a scholar on this throughout the last, really, 2,000 years of Christian thinkers, um, children are in a state of grace. So I, I honestly believe, and, and by the way, you know, Jewish thinkers used to say that they felt like kids, well, they were past 18 or 19 or 20, they were in a state of grace. Because you're right, an infant or a person with, you know, mental handicap, they can't think, okay, I'm a sinner, Jesus died, I, I need to turn to Christ. So they're under the grace of God because God's judgment just to, um, you know, pour out judgment on a person who really had not willfully rejected God um, I really believe that would be incompatible with God's merciful, holy nature. Yeah, I, I agree. One of my favorite preachers was a man called Junior Hill. He was an evangelist out of northern Alabama, just a great man. I, I just love to hear him preach. And he was talking about, the Bible talks about, let the children come unto me. And then when it comes to adults, it says a man must or a woman need to become as a little child. In other words, that child, uh, there's, I, I, again, they're not automatically saved. Don't you hear me say that? But I believe they are. If they die before that age of accountability, whatever that might be in their life, I do not know. But yes, yes, they come to Christ. But I know children that come to Christ. Uh, Dr. James Dobson, authority, he's the youngest one I've ever heard. He said he could remember, and he was saved at three years old. Now, Alex, mm -hmm. that blows my mind, but he still affirms that, you know, again and again. Oh, yeah. And but Very I know clearly. others that were saved at five and six, and they are walking with God today, and still that. Again, child evangelism is real. We talk about that for uh, 2040 window about Asia and trying to reach the gospel to the unreached people groups. Well, that group between 4 and 14, that's a group that you really want to look at in your church, in your Sunday school, in everything you do. Put some of the greatest teachers you have working with children in that age group. That's why Vacation Bible School is so great in the summer to concentrate mm -hmm. and look at it that these children can come to Christ. David, hope that helps well, you, brother. Well, and we're going to go to uh, Iris in Texas in just a minute. By the way, speaking about reaching young people, I do want to remind everybody, Truth for a New Generation is coming up October 15 through 17. We're going to have Sandy Rios, Frank Turek, Bishop E.W. Jackson, and much, much more. The registration page will probably be up by Friday, and so 
Uh, we're going to talk to you about how you can defend the biblical worldview and even pass it on to young people. Iris in Texas. I've got to ask you, Iris, what part of Texas are you in? I'm in Rockwall, which is 25 miles east of uh, Dallas, Lake Rehabert, a booming community that is very conservative and loves the Lord. You have lots of AFR listeners here. I've even been to the AFR station with my husband because that was a thrill for me some years ago. And I've been to one of the things that you had for um, your supporters. So I'm blessed to have you here. Amen, Iris. Amen. Well, thank you so much. What's your question for us, Iris? Um, I've often wondered this. I'm a Jewish believer, and I've called before um, from, for um, about 38 years. And the bottom line is, I often wonder this when I read the Old Testament, where it says, like this is in First um, Kings um, uh, 16:20. The rest of the events of Zimri's reign and his conspiracy are recorded in the book of history of the kings of Israel. Often, when you read Chronicles and Kings, you have that phrase or similar or the annals of the kings and i know there's not other um you know there's not other books of the bible that are colonized but what does that phrase mean okay great again it's first kings 16 20 20 yeah alex we do have the chronicles now let me give this and then you get ready you have first and second samuel and first and second kings and then first and second chronicles is not a continuation now from first king uh, from first samuel to second kings is a chronological view of both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom when they were united and then separated first and second chronicles is another uh recording of much of the same issues. I want to ask, Alex, was there a third one that didn't get put in the Scripture because it wasn't uh, meant to be in the Scriptures? Well, you know, the Bible does mention several things that, um, you know, biblical writers might have written but were not necessarily Scripture. Joshua mentions the book of Jashar, uh, and Paul mentions another letter to the the Corinthians. So uh, let me just say this: the in Second Kings chapter one, uh, and also this First uh, Kings sixteen, the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. Uh, it it don't don't take that to mean that there's part of the Bible missing or something like that. Um, everything the Bible mentions, it doesn't necessarily condone, and everything that's referenced. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that that should have been in its entirety included. you got to remember this is history of Israel, history of the early church, and there are some references that the the human writers were permitted to mention in passing, but that doesn't mean that they were a part of the Scripture that somehow was left out. That's right. I believe what we have is what God intended. Great, Great question. John in Kentucky... John, welcome to the American Family Radio Network. Oh, Bert, Alex, praise Jesus. Amen. Praise <laughs> Jesus indeed. <laughs> I had a comment about baptism. I've heard it said that water baptism is not necessary. Uh, the Bible says, He that believeth and he is baptized shall be saved. And Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, You must be born again of water and spirit, or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And uh, Peter, I think it's 321, says, Baptism doth now save us. 
Okay, yeah. John. Let's talk about that. And thank yeah, you for ahead. that question. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I've never said that baptism is not necessary. I think it is a step of obedience, and, you know, we are to identify with Christ and, and the church. But we, we've talked about how the Bible uses the word baptism in a couple of senses. Galatians talks about being baptized into Christ, which means putting your faith in Christ and being born again. Uh, now, the John 3 reference about Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, most scholars, I believe, would say, you know, born of water and of the blood, meaning physical birth and then the necessity of spiritual birth. So uh, do you have to be water baptized in order to trust Christ and be born again? No. But if you have trusted Christ and are born again, I think you should obey him no matter where he says go, including to the ends of the earth and including through the waters of the baptistry. So uh, Galatians 3, 27, being baptized into Christ. Uh, look at this. It, it talks about putting on Christ through faith. And that's, you know, 25, faith. We're not under the law. Verse 26, all children of God by what? Faith in Christ Jesus. Therefore, verse 27 of Galatians 3, we're baptized into him through faith. And let me say this, John. I, the gospel is good anywhere, anytime. I, again, I believe water baptism is important beyond measure when you can and have. I participated in one just a weekend ago, uh, a lady who had been saved, and she, again, had so many debilitating things that she could not get into the baptistry of the church, and they worked it out at a at aquatic center, and I was a part of that, and it was difficult to, for her to get there. It was difficult for her to have the water baptism. It was that important to her, and it was that important to me to participate but let me just share with you, if it is good, that means if you was in a plane and it was going down and water baptism was essential to salvation, there'd be no hope for anyone in that plane who trusted Jesus Christ at that point in time. Uh, I mean, I don't know what you do in the deserts. I don't know what you do up in uh, the Antarctic where people are and most of it is frozen. Don't listen. Uh not by the will of man. I, I say this, and I'm doing it as loving and as caring as I can, guys. But, you know, it says not by the will of man that we're saved over in the book of John. I'd have to find somebody willing to baptize me in order to get to heaven. And uh, so, Alex, I believe you're exactly right. And, John, listen, it is important. But every time salvation is mentioned, I can tell you what will be mentioned. Faith, trust, mm -hmm. But I can tell you, ever so often, baptism is left out of it. What must I do to be saved? What is essential? That which is mentioned each and every time. I hope that helps, John. We're still brothers in Christ, but we disagree that. Okay, Alex. Mm. What about Jason uh, in Texas? Jason, are you there? Jason. I think I broke up a second. Am I coming through? You're on. We got you, my friend. Okay. Hey, gentlemen, thank you so much. I really love what you do. I really appreciate it. God bless both of y'all. And, um, and also, if, if I could throw in a quick comment to Mr. John's question before, the whole baptism by blood and water thing, Jesus also said, you know, I'm, 
I am the living water. He that drinketh of me never thirst again. That could indicate more of something in the spiritual realm as well. Doesn't necessarily have to nod to a, a physical water baptism anyway. Um, what uh, my my question has uh, it, it, y'all y'all piques my curiosity when y'all were speaking of Judas earlier and y'all mentioned that he he you know kissed the gateway of heaven but went to hell. I I had to mentally backpedal. It's like I don't really recalled does the bible actually say he went to hell because i remember he had a horrible gut-wrenching you know grief and and and, and conviction of what he did yeah. he returned the silver he took his own life okay does jason I, I we got and the reason i'm interrupting is time frame i'd love to hear but i was the one that said that and i'll stand on it it talks there was there was sorrow on judas's part Paul talked about a sorrow, a godly sorrow that leads to salvation, not suicide. A godly sorrow that leads to to God. If he had taken time and, and, yes, gone to God for forgiveness, no doubt. But every sign it says he went to his own place. Alex, yeah, Acts uh, I, I just, yeah I, there's no evidence of any yeah. salvation suicide and, and, and the other doesn't demonstrate salvation it really demonstrates hopelessness you know what's interesting about acts 125 and you know um the bible calls him you know um well the son of perdition you know he betrayed the lord but acts 125 a lot of people whenever they talk about the eternal fate of judas they'll say he went to his own place meaning hell but there's a phrase in there and it says, um, well, they're saying, Lord, you know the hearts of all people. Show us the one you've chosen. And remember they prayed, and Matthias was raised up to take Judas's place. But here's the thing. It says, Judas turned from his apostleship, which Bert really, I mean, basically God offered him salvation and service, and he essentially, he turned away. He said, no thanks to both of those. And there, there's a lot we could say, but no, Judas did not go to heaven. He turned away from his opportunity to have a relationship with Christ. Jesus said he was a devil from the beginning. Now, what that means, in other words, no change from that. In other words, that was a continuation of what he was in the beginning and what he was at the very end. Alex, been good to be with you. We're looking forward to tomorrow as we continue in the book of Acts. So tell someone about exploring the Word, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. Jesus.